0: From Matthew, as Jesus was walking along, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he got up and followed him. And as he sat at dinner in the house with many tax collectors and sinners, came and were sitting with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But When he heard this, he said, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have come to call not the righteous, but sinners. While he was saying these things to them, suddenly a leader of the synagogue came in and knelt before him saying, my daughter has just died, but come and lay your hand on her and she will live. And Jesus got up and followed him with his disciples. Then suddenly a woman who'd been suffering from hemorrhages for 12 years came up behind him and touched the fringe of his cloak. For she said to herself, if I only touch his cloak, I will be made well. Jesus turned and seeing her, he said, take heart, daughter, your faith has made you well. And instantly the woman was made well. When Jesus came to the leader's house and saw the flute players and the crowd making a commotion, he said, go away the girl is not dead, but sleeping, and they laughed at him. But when the crowd had been put outside, he went in and took her by the hand, and the girl got up, and the report of this spread throughout that district. This is the good news. Please be seated. Our daughter was sick earlier this week, and besides medicine and rest, the thing that she needed the absolute most Was snuggles. She needed literally to be in touch with us all the time, to be held, to have her back rubbed, to feel the safety and the comfort and the healing of physical connection. My son, on the other hand, our son was not sick. He had a lot of energy and his little body needed to move He also wanted us to be present with him a lot of the time, and he certainly is a snuggle bunny. He thrives on snuggles, but he didn't need them as often or in the same way. He needed to know that we were close so that we could play a thousandth round of trouble or to go for a walk together. He needed love every bit as much as our daughter did, but they didn't need it in the same way this week. In the gospel, this is how I see Jesus. Jesus showed up for different people in different ways, depending on their circumstance, depending on their posture with him. And then in the text today, there seem to be three groups of people, all of whom needed Jesus, knowingly or unknowingly, but for each of whom Jesus showed up differently. In the beginning of the story, we run into Matthew, a tax collector. Jesus walked right up to him as he counted money in his booth and invited him to just, you know, leave it all behind and follow him. But why Matthew? Why Matthew? And why a call to discipleship? Why not like, hey Matthew, I'm gonna go preach a sermon real quick if you wanna catch it and then come back. Why an entire call to follow Jesus so closely? Tax collectors were outsiders. People did not like them, friends. They were known to be corrupt, they were committed to the oppressing Roman Empire. Not only did they help run the system that led to inequity, but also because Rome gave them permission to, and they very much often took advantage of, the option to like, collect a little extra money for themselves on the side. So Matthew's work stood for all the things that Jesus' work stood against. And just before this story, a scribe had come to Jesus asking to follow and be a disciple and Jesus had turned him down and the scribe was like the perfect candidate for a disciple, so why Matthew? Well, Matthew represents this first group of people that Jesus shows up for, those tax collectors and sinners that the Pharisees were grumbling about at dinner with Jesus challenging him. So let's clear up some confusion before we start talking about these. Sinners. Sinners in the gospel are not what we consider sinners today. Today, we would say sin is anything, action, thought, word, whatever, that draws us away, that breaks healthy relationship with God, with each other, with ourselves, or creation. That's sin. Just curious before I go on, is anyone exempt from that? Anyone just... (laughs) I was gonna switch places with you. Um, Yeah, none of us, none of us are outside of that, right? We've all done that at one point or many, many, many points in our lives. Nobody escapes it, we are all sinners, every single one of us. But in the text, Jesus' table fellows were singled out, right? Why are you eating with those sinners? Which implies that there's some people that aren't sinners, right? Hmm, how is that possible? Well, in Jesus' day, sinners were anyone who disregarded or fell short of God's law. So it was possible not to be a sinner. Sinners lived outside of the boundaries of the covenant that God had gifted to God's people for healthy living. And so Matthew didn't perfectly follow the law. And so the community looked at him and they saw poor choices and they saw unworthiness, those sinners. But Jesus looked at Matthew and saw potential Matthew was doing the, the best he could with what he knew, with who he was. And in Jesus' eyes, what sinners needed most was to see how the ways of God, the law of God, the boundaries of God were actually very life-giving so that they could live into it for their own sake and for the sake of their community. What Matthew needed was an invitation to something better and some grace to make the change and a little guidance along the way. Jesus invited tax collectors and sinners because they were teachable, perfect candidates for discipleship. He invited along because they didn't presume to have it all figured out, which meant they were receptive to something new. And we see that that turned out to be true because when Jesus called Matthew to commit to a different kingdom, Matthew got up and walked away from his current kingdom, no questions asked. He followed Jesus. So this first group of people reminds us that nobody is beyond hope or change. Then after calling Matthew, Jesus healed a hemorrhaging woman and raised a dead daughter to life. And this is where we run into the second group of people. We see them throughout the gospels. They were sick, lonely, hungry, voiceless, oppressed, excluded, in danger, likely afraid, notice how the words regarding time change when this group enters the story suddenly a leader came to jesus suddenly the bleeding woman came and touched jesus instantly the woman was made well these words don't show up in any other parts of the story there's urgency here there's desperation this group needed immediate aid and jesus showed up in a way that met that need he came with urgency He came with mercy to offer healing, healing of all sorts. I love the way that this story describes his interaction with the bleeding woman. When her faith compelled her to reach out and touch Jesus, we read that Jesus turned, and I don't know if you caught this because it's so short and so quick, turning and seeing her. Jesus saw her. Healing came, but first the noticing and I imagine that that was not a small thing or or an an unnoticeable gesture or detail because this woman I imagine had felt unseen for the past 12 years of her life and now to be seen. Because see the law that we're talking about, God's law, would not have allowed her to participate in community while bleeding. Bleeding was unsanitary, unclean, unsafe for others to be around and so the law required that if you were bleeding you left and so menstruation for women was already a lonely event one week away from your people every month but imagine this woman who's been bleeding for 12 long years she needed the bleeding to stop for sure to bring physical wellness but I would say that equally she needed the isolation to stop to bring belonging and social emotional wellness. For this woman, as with the child that he raised from the dead, Jesus met this second group, not with gradual change or teaching or something subtle, but with an immediate and monumental shift in circumstance that gave them hope for a future, for new life. This group reminds us that God cares deeply about the things that harm us and responds with urgent compassion and care. But interacting with this group came with a price. Because as I said, to touch a bleeding person was to break God's law. To touch a dead person was for sure to break God's law. In fact, interacting with a woman and with a child at all were outside of the cultural norm for Jesus' day. So if I am not mistaken, Jesus broke the law. Holy cow, does that make him a sinner? Asking for a friend. (laughs) Did he disregard the law? That is the charge that was continuously brought against him. But the gospel writer makes this overarching point that Jesus wasn't breaking the law, he was expanding and redefining what the law meant. Jesus argued that the law doesn't exist for sterile rule-keeping purposes, the law exists, again, to provide boundaries for healthy, life-giving community. Now that law about not touching blood or not touching a dead person, that makes a lot of sense. If you lived in that time and you understood how diseases spread um, and how they happened at all, if, if that was your limited knowledge, that made sense. That was a really good law, right? But remember, the law was meant to preserve life. It was meant to be healthy and helpful for people, but in this particular case now, that law was actually hindering life, right? So the law, Jesus says, must be interpreted through the lens of mercy. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Mercy invites all people into God's realm. Mercy ensures that all people see their belovedness and their worth in God's eyes. Mercy works to meet the needs of everyone equally and with urgency so that nobody falls through the cracks. The law exists for the sake of the people not the other way around. And that brings us to the third group of people that Jesus loved and was present for, and perhaps the most surprising group of all, those Pharisees and the other religious leaders, those who held a death grip on the law, those who focused so much on legalism that they fell short of mercy. Not necessarily because they were cruel, but because ensuring their own righteousness was their top priority. And unfortunately, over time, because of that death grip, because of their fear of losing their righteousness, their own security began to trump others' security. They began to make sure that they were in right standing with the law at the expense of others. They worked for their own good instead of the common good. And it would have been really easy for Jesus to give up on this group, right? I think many Christians today think that Jesus did. I think that's why we have anti-Semitism and some other problems like that. People just assumed that Jesus didn't care about those Pharisees or those other folks. But notice how often they are close by when these stories happen. Jesus still interacted with them. He worked where they were just within earshot because they also needed love, just in a different way. Jesus always seemed to work in their periphery so that he could model something different for them and hopefully, with some room for contemplation, they would grow. But for this group, that growth would be the hardest because many of them were sure that they'd already figured it out. So for this third group, Jesus loved them by challenging them. As the old saying goes, the gospel comforts the afflicted, and afflicts the comfortable. Either way, Jesus was going to love the people exactly how they needed to be loved. Or in the words of Pastor and Professor Stephen Butler Murray, in Jesus, both those who reach out and those who must be beckoned find attentive aid. This third group teaches us that we are all at risk of seeking self-righteousness, actually maybe selfish, righteousness, and that the kingdom is not about focusing on perfectly adhering to the rules, but rather about focusing on God's mercy. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. And this mercy, this mercy will almost always take us to the margins of society, because that's where Jesus was consistently found working, and where we do well to focus our own piety So friends, in this particular season of life, which group of people most resonates with you? Do not raise your hands. It's not a poll, your neighbors don't need to see, I'm not here to condemn or to judge, but I'm curious, I'm curious. Are you the one who has turned from the kingdom following a guiding force that promises power and identity but is perhaps falling short for you? Are you the one in urgent need of hope and community and just being seen? Are you the one who is so worried about getting your personal relationship with God just right that you've forgotten to notice a hurting world around you? I challenge you to think about that this week. I certainly have been. Whichever you are, know that you are not alone, that we have all been in any of those camps at any time, or as I joked with someone at the nine o'clock service, we both said, how about all three, perhaps, all the time? You're not alone. More importantly, receive this good news today, whichever one you are, no matter who you are, Jesus loves us. Jesus loved all three groups. Jesus is present with us in mercy, ready to help us, meet us, and send us, bring us forward toward new and abundant life. Thanks be to God.